Me Nissan, Yo Kaso, I'm Wea Bro Derek. Hi, I'm Wea Bro Sean. And this is the Wea Bros Anime Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Attack on Titan is back. Season 3 officially underway. It aired in Japan this past Sunday, but. We're not going to be recapping it today because uh, it airs on Sundays, and technically this is still last week's show. I apologize for the delay, but if you follow the blog, you know that I was at a concert event over the weekend, uh, so we couldn't record the show as per usual. Starting next week, though, we'll be back to a more regular schedule, and we're aiming for Saturdays for our recordings now, right, Sean? Yeah, yeah, it works a lot better for me meaning the shows will drop either late Saturday night or early Sunday morning. Now, there is something we can still talk about on this show in regards to Season 3 of Attack on Titan. Remember how Funimation was having that two-day theatrical run, or theater run, I should say, a couple of weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Well, according to Box Office Mojo, it earned a gross total of 377334 U.S. dollars. Over the course of those two days. Uh, oh, man, you cut out. Was it 334000 $377,334, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's not bad for one day. For two days. Yeah, it was a two day. So the subbed and dub versions each aired one day. And it was the season two recap movie plus the first episode of the third season shown at 170-ish theaters across North America. The subbed version aired the first day. It brought in roughly $225,000, and the dub version, $152,000. I'm no expert, but that doesn't seem half bad for a two-day release of a foreign cartoon, does it? No, that's pretty sweet, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping that kind of success prompts further commitment from studios, distributors, and theaters across the country. In other news... Chio's School Road continues to be pretty funny. I thought this past episode was a little weaker than the first two. We're on episode three now of that. But one thing I do like, and Sean, I don't know if you've seen the third episode yet, but we're getting a, we're actually getting story arcs that span more than one episode. Last week, there was the Bloody Butterfly Effect skit, which started off the episode. Well, this week, we got Bloody Butterfly Effect 2, which serves as a sequel or continuation of that original skit. Did you have a chance to watch that one yet? No, I have not seen the third episode. I'm still on number two. Well, I think it's great. Um, and that's not something that I expected from this show. It's not like the first part, like last episode, the one you've seen ended on a cliffhanger or anything. It was a complete skit. But now in this most recent episode, we're seeing some of the aftermath or consequences uh, from, the re- uh, from the result of the events in last week's episode. I'm really hoping for a part three down the line. I really like this skit. But with that, we'll jump into the week in review now, starting with Steins Gate Zero, episode 14, Recognition of the Elastic Limit. A lot of people here stateside will be watching this tonight or tomorrow. It officially drops, I believe, later today. It is... No, it dropped... Yes, it'll drop later today. I don't actually know when. I just check usually sometime around Wednesday night, and it seems to be up. I don't have the official time or anything like that. But uh, it's been several months since Kagari vanished at the end of the last episode. One of her strange uh, Beethoven-induced episodes was triggered, and she wandered off before Suzuha or anyone could get to her. According to Okabe, they tried just about everything they could to find her, and that whole mysterious facility is still mysterious. They couldn't figure out much about that, but Daru and Suzuha are trying to construct a time machine behind Okabe's back. Interesting. I don't know if you noticed, um, so that abandoned factory, Mm -hmm. 
uh, shiny finger took a selfie in yeah. front of it. Yeah. With with a big wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. And it, so I I'd imagine it it's gotten destroyed. I don't think they really explained it, but no, they wrote it off as they couldn't figure out anything about it. But Moeko was just there hanging out when they uh, were demolishing the complex. So. <laughs> uh, I don't know. A- anyway, <laughs> Daru and Suzuha can't build this time machine on their own, so they try recruiting Maho uh, in secrecy, of course, who's still dealing with this inferiority complex uh, to the late Karisu. And Suzuha asks, you know, everyone has been asking now since, or the question, she asked the question everyone has been asking since episode one in that why won't Okabe take action? Nobody seems to be able to understand why, but we're getting other characters now that are actually getting more involved in the story than Okabe himself. How do you feel about that? Uh, disappointed. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone wants to see Okarin come back and, you know, be his usual self. And even Daru uh, touched on it. He's like trying to explain it to Suzuha and Suzuha's like yeah you've been saying that for months now mm-hmm. and he's he's not coming back and it's really disappointing and it's interesting because it's almost as if they're coming from the pa- fan perspective here and saying that it's as if you know the other characters in this world are thinking the same thing that we are and that's probably deliberate on the part of the writers. And so I wonder down the line here if Okabe comes back around or if these other characters are the ones that really step up and accomplish things. Because right now, it's Maho, Daru, and Suzuha. And anyway, everybody ends up at the hospital because of Fubuki. She's that one who also passed out at the same time Okabe did. She may or may not have some reading, reading Steiner-esque Ability. She may or may not be able to remember these other world lines. Uh, coincidentally enough, though, everyone runs into Professor Leskinen, who's there in Japan at this hospital. And I thought he was more comic relief in the beginning, and he still is. But as things go on, Sean, I can't help but suspect that you might be right on your hunch that he is not necessarily a friend here. Yeah, I mean, he can't just be comic relief. I've been saying that since the beginning. There's something else to him. And uh, Suzuha had a little flashback um, trying to figure out if... um, Ah, what's her name? Dang it. Not Kagari. Kagari. That Kagari had been brainwashed possibly before they had even time-traveled to this world, this world line. And uh, and, uh, she recalls a professor that uh, was known for brainwashing people, I think. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's got to be our funny American professor. I don't know, though, because in... Was it in Kagari's flashbacks with Mayuri or whatever, she's seeing a gray-haired professor of sorts. Maybe that is a future Leskinen or something. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if we're entirely supposed to buy into that yet, but definitely there are some flags now that we can definitively say thrown up around... Leskinen in that he may not be as friendly and amiable as letting on. Now, at some point, somebody tries to break in to Suzuha's apartment, presumably to murder her. She outwits him, forces the would-be assailant to take off her helmet, and it's Kagari. So, uh, Suzuha and Daru get all the confirmation they need right there about whether or not she's been brainwashed. 
Um, and then they try to figure out uh, what's going on, and she has this realization of sorts that it's possible Kagari was actually brainwashed even before she ran away 12 years ago. Yeah, before they, uh, I think it was before they had even time traveled, like he had gotten to her. Like, that's why she uh, tried to kill Suzuha um, when she was a kid, mm-hmm. grabbed the gun and, and pointed it at her. And yeah. and that's a, that's an interesting twist. I don't quite know where we'll go with that, but we've been pretty much just on board for the ride with this series from the beginning. It's been darn near impossible to predict. In the end, Maho finally agrees to help Daru and Suzuha construct a time machine in secret, and she decides she's going to do it on her own. She's not going to steal or try and take Karisu's notes or anything and follow in the footsteps. She's going to do it on her own. And so now this inferiority complex becomes more of a tribute-type deal where she's doing it for herself and then also out of respect for trying to save Karisu and the future. She may be able to come up with something, you know, that actually works better. And Ocarine, you know, he doesn't need to be so hesitant you know, if she makes something that, you know, can actually work right and is more predictable than his. Yeah, and that episode, again, will be dropping sometime later today. And we'll, of course, be reviewing that this Saturday on the upcoming show. We'll jump now to Overlord 3. We start the episode in the Great Hall of Nazarick. I forget the name of it. doesn't really matter, I guess. They're not as fun as uh, the Steinsgate ones. Um Eins <laughs> is asking Demiurge to explain what the master plan for Nazarick is now that the battle for Riestes is over. And he asks Demiurge because he wants him to explain what he's thinking, all the while still sounding like he knows what the plan actually is. He really, of course, doesn't know what Demiurge or anyone else is thinking for that matter. So, of course, he explains that Nazarick now has control over the entire underworld after taking down the uh, Eight Fingers, I think it was. And they're going to use this to help them achieve the ultimate goal of world domination. Yeah, that's funny. Um, Ainzul Gown, <laughs> he really had no clue what what uh, his his little uh, his little crew had in plan. Like, he wasn't on board at all. He's just figuring it out right then. It was really a good opening, really fun. It was a good scene, and this is where this series has excelled in its humor. It's been, it's one of those isekai series, but while it has components of a lot of the other ones, I feel like this one is still far more realistic in a lot of ways. You've got a player who really still doesn't understand what is going on around him, even though we're three seasons in now. Uh, he takes a very rational approach. Like, if you're in a game, okay, here's what I would do. I would secure the area. I would do all these different things. Uh, they go into depth as to how the world works. And all the characters understand. I have this weapon. It grants me a bonus in this and this and has this effect. And those are things that, you know, w- when you're in a game, you think, okay, yeah, this is reality. But how does it look like from the perspective of the characters? They're actually capturing that. And so I feel that Overlord is actually a very accurate as accurate an approach you can have toward a fictional series like this. Yeah, I agree totally. And, and we do get this... One of the other things that Overlord does very well is humor. During this opening scene where Eins is figuring out what's going on as it's being told to him, he's got this conversation going on. Him, Demiurge, and Albedo uh, decide that it's best to announce 
the great tomb of Nazareth as a country. And they have pretty comical exchanges during this announcement because Eins is trying to figure out how everybody else figured out what the plan was before he did or what his plan was before he did and he's going on it must have been that thing that i said and demi are just like exactly and it must have been that thing that i did and he's like yes exactly that and the other thing yes and it's this back and forth exchange and he cannot figure out what actions he has taken that have led everyone to believe that he intends to take over the world i'd like to know too i don't remember either well, he does eventually get to the point where he asks Demiard what moment he thought was most important in determining the path that they're on now. And it goes back to Ainz actually saving and hence peacefully subjugating that one village early on, I believe, in the first season, Karn or Carne Village. The focus then shifts to the residents of that town, uh, which is still rebuilding, however long this has been since then. The humans are getting along with goblins, apparently, and so that's cool. And Enri is the girl that Ayn saved very early on. Her and what few humans are left in the village are working with the goblins to rebuild things. Uh, there's this blonde boy who likes her, and there's some comic situations that result from that. And this is a, a time of peace right now. We've just had our last big climax from last season. The main draw for the series isn't action or suspense so much at the moment as it is the character interactions. And I think there are some pretty fun ones throughout the episode, not just between Ainz and Demiurge, but also uh, that disturbance in the forest uh, when they're going to collect the herbs to sell and, and between... Henry and Nephi is the boy's name. At the very end, though, we learn that uh, two factions, the Giants of the East and the Demon Snake in the West, have joined forces and are expanding. They want to attack uh, the Great Tomb of Nazareth, but they don't call it that. They call it, uh, oh, you know, you'd think I'd, since I'm bringing it up, I'd actually know. <laughs> you sounded like it. You sold almost, me in the beginning. I, you sounded... It was on the tip of my tongue. Oh, what they call it? Whatever. Anyway, they they're trying to attack Ainzulgown. They're joining forces, um, and they were looking to capture goblins and use them as rations or possibly frontline soldiers. Mm -hmm. So we're led to believe they're on their way to the village of Karn, Carne. So that's where we left off. So three things worth noting here. One, I've decided I do like the opening theme. It didn't win me over in the first episode, but now I've decided that I do like it. They also oh, don't it's... reference they don't reference that bathhouse thing at all. I know. I was looking for it, and I thought it was going to be a big deal, like there was some big monster in there, and they were going to fight it, and they just didn't touch on it at all. It must not have been a big deal at all. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, just a quick gag at the end. Now, I've mentioned before, I do not trust Solution. She does not make an appearance in this episode. Uh, but also, I think Demiurge is still questionable here as well. He was a half-villain at the end of Season 2, but more so a staged villain. He was still on the side of Ainz. He was just being an opponent, really for political purposes, for the uh, Black Knight persona that Momonga has, his hero persona, while they were collecting information on the city. But do you get the feeling that Demiurge is being is a lot smarter than he lets on with a lot of this? I definitely think he, he is smarter, and he might have some ulterior motives. Like when he was facing off against Ainz, maybe he got 
the feeling that maybe he could take him and beat him. Mm-hmm. And I agree, and I think him plus Solution might be a pretty dangerous duo. They've been established as very powerful characters. And we've also seen that other factions have the ability to take control of characters. Shaltier, the primary antagonist at the end of the first season, was taken over by a, th- a third-party faction. And that's why she turned. And so I'm very excited for them to really get things going, and I'll be watching that new episode of Overlord tonight. Hopefully, I'm going to help a friend move, but after that, hopefully. So, you've only seen the second episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've seen three. I, I oh, so you are. Okay, so you have more information than I do. Uh, but yeah. that one, yeah, we'll do that this Saturday because technically that aired this week. It'll be this Saturday. We'll be Overlord, Steins Gate, and Attack on Titan. It'll be our first full week for the week in review coming up this Saturday when we record that. So that'll air late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, depending on whenever I get it going and with that i would like to jump now though into our countdown of the best animated series that are not a japanese anime and this is a one a conversation i've been looking forward to and thinking about for quite a while and you know it really was not as easy a decision to make as i thought it would be i'm torn as well i know i've got one that i don't think you've heard of and the other two definitely you have it's i mean they're like huge all right, so let's start. So Sean's got a top three then. Why don't you give us that countdown? All right, so obviously this one, it's more like it's not really a personal favorite, but it's so big. You got to recognize it. It's, well, The Simpsons. <laughs> Simpsons, okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Longest running cartoon, uh, probably just for, you know, us. American. I think it's actually, it's like one of the longest running sitcoms of all time animated or not that series has been going on for a while simpsons is actually one of my honorable mentions but it is undoubtedly the longest running american animated sitcom and i think one of the longest running american sitcoms in general if you count the greater scheme so after the simpsons uh this one it is more of a personal favorite it's probably not it's not the greatest show, but it's a personal favorite of mine is uh, Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> uh, have you ever watched that? Yeah, um, and I've got a show on my list actually created by the same guy. Okay, so King of the Hill probably. Yes, is that your <laughs> Okay. <one? laughs> no, 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 it's not. So oh. I don't know. If I want to touch on uh, Beavis and Butthead, but... Sure. Um, so if you buy the DVDs, the DVD set, it does not come with the music videos which was the whole point of me buying it. I had no clue. Yeah, that's lame. But yeah, they cut the music videos out. And it's so funny, but really I wanted to go back because their commentary when they're watching, you know, Madonna or something is just, yeah. it's great. Part of me wonders if that's for like licensing and distribution purposes. Like legally they couldn't do that unless they paid a lot of money to redistribute the music or something like that. So they just decided to cut them. Yeah, I'd imagine it It would be a nightmare. Right? Business, Right. So okay, so my fi- my personal favorite, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I don't even think I've seen every episode. But, um, it was on Adult Swim back in like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, okay. and it's called Super Jail. Have you ever heard of it? Um, I've heard of it. I never watched it though. It is. It's really extreme adult graphic violence um dismemberment 
extreme cruelty it, it but it's it's like a psychedelic it's um there's this fantasy world where this eccentric willy wonka type jail warden reigns over this super jail and he's just like a dick he's insane the show is really psychedelic i'd you gotta see it that's psychedelic could be described probably as half the lineup of that early phase adult swim but yeah i do remember having seen super jail i have to check that out when i one day find time but this dumb thing called anime just keeps consuming my life (laughs) most of the time that i watch uh i do have my list now my top five i went with animated series that are not anime we're gonna get this list started uh baby with johnny bravo the man, oh, yeah. the legend. Uh, here's a show about a muscular, dim-witted guy and his unsuccessful attempts to court women. And that's more or less the gist of it. Our main cast consists of Johnny, his mom, and his neighbor, little Susie. And they live in the fictional Aaron City, which um, I want to say, I believe it's a, a joke. Uh, it, it's Elvis's middle name, I remember having a long time ago and Johnny Bravo is kind of our knockoff Elvis type womanizer only he's a failure at it and each episode typically involves Johnny trying to impress a woman and ending up in a strange bizarre predicament of some kind because of it this uh, was this was part of that Cartoon Network lineup the more adult block in the days prior to Adult Swim it's not really violent or overtly sexual but it is suggestive and it does include many pop culture references, I think presented in a much less formulaic manner than something like Family Guy. And so that'll be that'll crack the list at number five. Number four, we're going to go Rick and Morty. This is one of the most brilliant and also one of the dumbest shows I have ever seen in my life. Uh, adapted from a short film that parodied Back to the Future, the this sci-fi adventure comedy series centers primarily on the misadventures of an alcoholic mad scientist and his friendly but uh, very skittish grandson. It consists of everything from deep philosophical commentary on the meaninglessness of life to crude jokes involving, involving like farts and fecal matter and stuff. So everything from your space battleship tiramisu type humor to your really philosophical stuff that really makes you think, wow, they put more thought into this than I thought they did. And we're, you got to have a 200 IQ to understand. <laughs> some, some of that stuff, it does seem like it. Um, and I would have put this higher on the list, but for every episode that we're treated with uh, a surprisingly well thought out reoccurring theme or or script of some kind there's another episode that seems almost entirely improvised and if you're into that humor that's fine but honestly i find it a little stupid in comparison still the two approaches are balanced fairly well enough to provide a show that feels genuinely unique and um the overarching duel between cynicism and idealism is very relatable. It's very dark. And the co-creator, Justin Roiland, voices both Rick and Morty, which is pretty impressive because they sound completely different. Pretty, I'm 90% sure that that's true. Anyway. Yeah, I've seen I've seen him doing both voices on, on YouTube. Yeah, and that uh, so that's a show that I think for any of you like cynics and sci-fi geeks out there, Rick and Morty is probably a good one to watch. Now, this third one, Sean is probably going to contest me a little bit over. I'm going to submit Ruby here. That's 
RWBY. It follows an ensemble cast of young adults who attend an academy that trains people to fight uh, these dangerous creatures of Grimm which inhabit the world. There's quite a bit of controversy surrounding this series, actually. And the debate isn't over whether or not it's obscene or insensitive or anything like that. Rather, it's about whether or not it actually counts as an anime. It was billed as a Western anime, if there is such a thing. Uh, And there are certain thematic elements in common with what we generally understand is anime, but it was developed in the United States by Rooster Teeth. Uh, Many of you know that as the studio behind Red vs. Blue, the uh, Halo parody series. Truth is, though, it doesn't freaking matter. I think it's a great animated series regardless, and one of few American animated shows that has achieved international success, aside from the big-time Disney Pixar DreamWorks flicks. It started as a small, independent project, and it'll be entering its sixth season now, actually come this fall. The original creator died during the third season, but they've continued to grow the franchise, and through it now they've got improved animation, a couple of spinoffs, and even a video game. Yeah, I didn't really care for that one as much. Um, But I'm not going to trash it. You know, they're trying. It's, It's not a bad show, it just wasn't for me. We'll jump then to that number two spot, or should I do like the like what we did with the special abilities countdown? Number two, uh, King of the Hill. I have a soft spot for the slice of life genre, and if there ever was an American animated series that truly captured slice of life, it was King of the Hill. This is probably the most realistic series on the list. It revolves around propane seller Hank Hill, his family, and his friends, and that's pretty much it. The plot and humor are both derived from things that can happen in normal, everyday life, and viewers are gifted a glimpse uh, into rural, blue-collar American life, and they did this for 13 seasons before the show was canceled. I remember watching this uh, when it was airing, when it first aired, and I, I remember thinking, man, The Simpsons is so much better. But it grew on me, definitely. You know, it's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, and the two series are comparable, whereas King of the Hill gives us a glimpse into rural, southern life. The Simpsons gave us a glimpse into suburbia, and The Simpsons was a little more absurdist than King of the Hill. I mean, they had aliens and stuff. You know, King of the Hill didn't really dabble in any of that. But um, I think King of the Hill might actually have had a longer run were it not for the explosive popularity of the Seth MacFarlane pop culture-focused sitcoms like Family Guy, American Dad, The Cleveland Show. All three of those were MacFarlane products. And I think uh, the year or the year after King of the Hill got bumped, that it was axed, The Cleveland Show came out and it lasted like three or four seasons and that was it, you know? And so while that style of humor is more entertaining in the short term, I don't think it ages particularly as well because someone in 10 years might not understand the same joke because it's outdated at that point. It's like memes, memes like every month, you know, there's new memes and old ones don't always hold up. So like I was watching, was it the Black Panther movie that came out for a while and they had a, what are those sneaker joke? But because it takes so long to produce the movie, that meme was like a year and something old and nobody cared anymore you know yeah i see what you're saying and i think shows like that too fail to connect the viewer with the characters in a way that makes them worth rooting for like you genuinely wanted hank and his friends to overcome their issues peter and the gang i don't really give a shit you know yeah like it's more funny when they don't win (laughs) honestly (laughs) 
But, but King of the Hill takes the number two spot, a true slice of life series produced um, in America. And that was so close to being number one, but I gave the number one spot to Futurama. A majority of nerds familiar with animated series will probably tell you that Futurama is one of the greatest American animated series of all time. I'm going to tell you that it's the greatest that I've seen. Uh, the series is the brainchild of Matt Greening, the same guy behind The Simpsons. It, and you can tell by looking at it, a lot of the character design is very similar. It initially follows a young man named Philip J. Fry, who accidentally ends up in the 31st century. But then it expands to a more ensemble kind of cast. Uh, picture this one as an episodic sci-fi slice-of-life type comedy with occasional injections of actual serious storytelling it has science jokes it has dark comedy it has satire just about anything a nerd could ever want in a show uh, yeah that's a good show i haven't seen all that much of it but i know one scene in particular that sticks with me is fry's dog jurassic like, waiting bark for jurassic bark is the episode yeah. oh yeah okay oh yeah that and that's what I'm talking about. This is a series that genuinely doesn't it generally doesn't take itself too seriously, but every now and then they will hit you with something seemingly ah. out of nowhere. And that's what I'm talking about with those injections of genuine storytelling within a far more laissez faire casual kind of setup. And it makes them all that much more powerful because they don't come every week. But when they do, it's like, man, just rip my heart out already. So that's your number one, Futurama. Yes, Futurama. And Jurassic Bark and other episodes like it are a big part of why. To get the balance between the comedy and the slice of lifiness and them just going through their everyday stuff in the future with the very serious stories that they'll bring up from time to time, I think it's a great balance overall and I think it's a great series as far as non-anime series go and I think with that we'll wrap things up for now next time we'll be back into the full swing of things like I mentioned earlier it'll be this weekend we'll have Steins Gate Zero Overlord Episode 3 Attack on Titan all in the weekend review and as per usual we'll have plenty of hastily thrown together stuff to talk about as well thanks again for listening yep thanks everyone see ya <laughs>